especially to my anorexia, it was giving fuel to the fire of a professional doctor telling me that I'm not sick enough, I'm not thin enough to get help clearly. So you know what, I'm going to show him and I'm going to show everyone that I can get sicker. Hello and welcome to Slice in Time with me, Linda, host of Woodlands, What I Didn't Learn in Medical School, a platform for discussing topics crucial to health that are typically not taught, glossed over, or approached from the wrong angles in medicine and public discourse. As always, stay in touch and keep up to date by following Woodlands on Instagram and Twitter, and you'll find comprehensive show notes and more content on my website, lindadaz.com. Please also note that this is a podcast for education and entertainment purposes only and should not be taken as medical advice. In today's episode, I chat to Bettina, whose podcast I was a guest on earlier this year. At the time, we spoke about how eating disorders are taught in medical school from my perspective and other ideas and experiences of mine on the topic. In my interview with Bettina on Woodlands, we discuss her experience of being diagnosed with anorexia at 15 years old and eventually recovering. We cover some important things in terms of how she was treated by healthcare professionals and what helped her in recovery and beyond. I think it is so important to listen to people with actual lived experiences of a condition and not get too bogged down in reading about diagnostic criteria and clinical management without forgetting what matters to the actual person at the core of it all. This is why I am so grateful that Bettina shares her story and tips with us all today. Be sure to check out her podcast as well as the episode where I was interviewed, titled Eating Disorders Don't Have a Look. But now, let's get to it. Thank you so much for coming into the show, Bettina. Could you just introduce yourself a bit to people that haven't met you before and just talk a little bit about what you do and how come we've connected and how come we're talking today? Yeah, well, first of all, thanks, Linda, for having me on the podcast. So my name is Bettina. I'm from Finland. I used to live in Edinburgh. I went to Edinburgh University. And that's actually how a friend of mine, or Emma, a shout out to Emma, um, Mm -hmm. linked the two of us because you had listened to my podcast, I think, through Emma. uh, And then we got talking. (laughs) So I'm happy that she put us in contact because we share a lot of same passions. And and I'm happy to be on the podcast and and happy that also you came on my podcast. Um, My podcast is called Best of Bettina. I guess I could get into that now. And yeah, um, yeah, I started it about six months ago. And I talk a lot about eating disorders and eating disorder recovery and kind of um, also other things around mental health. And and I just want to get a message through that, you know, you can recover from eating disorders. And I think it's a topic that even though it is spoken about a little bit more nowadays and there's a little bit of taboo to it and and I just hope that I can help others that are struggling currently to feel a little bit less alone and a little bit less ashamed and and just kind of know that they can they can get through it and also maybe just good to mention here before we get into speaking more I'm not like a trained therapist or nutritionist or doctor of any kind I'm just sharing my experiences and I can only kind of share my opinions based on uh, what I went through and uh, yeah just to kind of remind that this isn't you know just one truth that will apply to everyone but this is my truth I guess yeah thank you for that you're doing really great work and um I would encourage people to go listen to your episodes as well. And in your first podcast episode, you go through quite in depth about your own experiences and your story and 
um, the diagnosis you had, but everything that was going on, you know, around it as well. So I don't want to go into too much depth because you literally have like documented it very well on your own podcast. But for people that don't know, um, because we will be, we'll be talking about anorexia, but also eating disorders in general today and kind of how it should be approached differently or how it could be approached differently and challenging some stereotypes and so on. So if you're happy to, I would love to have you share a little bit about your story and maybe a bit about when it started and what was going on and uh, yeah, your your signs or symptoms or what was happening at the time. Yeah, yeah, I can definitely do that. Um, and as you said, if you want to hear a little bit more of a detailed explanation, I have almost an hour, uh, the first episode where I go through the whole story. So we can definitely get more details there if you go to my podcast. But I think, um, well, I was diagnosed with anorexia at 15 years old, but it did start before that. I think maybe a year before is when I kind of remember that I had those first kind of initial thoughts of like actively hating my body or or the way I looked or yeah kind of starting to think about restricting my food intake and looking into diets and stuff like that but it was more so kind of like the year before I would say was um not that much action but a lot of like things happening in my mind and I I guess I was constantly in quite like a low place because if you hate yourself every single minute of the day obviously you're going to feel quite low so I think that's kind of like what it yeah felt like before and then um, yeah it was the spring after I had just turned 15 that things really started kind of happening and in my case it was quite sudden like it was only in a couple of months that I lost a lot of weight and I like quickly developed really really bad habits and behaviors that then resulted in me getting anorexia and because it was quite sudden and it was quite um, rough like physically and it was quite like visible um, even though you know not all eating disorders are visible and you could argue that you know maybe I already Mm -hmm. had a little bit of issues before (laughs) it started showing people kind of grabbed to it quite quickly so I think the first person that actually approached me was the school nurse and uh, yeah then she referred me to a nutritionist and to different tests and the results were already quite bad and then um, I did definitely I remember I did definitely kind of realize that the way I was behaving wasn't normal because I used to I, I did a lot of sports but just because like I loved sports and I loved exercising and and I used to eat a lot and and bake a lot and cook a lot and like I had a really big passion for food before but then all of a sudden I had like a big interest towards food but it was like the anorexia that had the interest mm-hmm. towards the food and the controlling so I could definitely like see myself that this isn't really who I am and this isn't really maybe normal but I, I just couldn't like I was just floating in it and I couldn't kind of break it. So when the school nurse kind of approached me and my family was also involved and and told that, you know, this is going on, I still, I didn't really resist it. And I kind of accepted that they were trying to give me help. And then, yeah, she referred me to a nutritionist in an eating disorder clinic. And even when I saw that, I didn't really resist because it kind of felt like Mm -hmm. this is the place where I need to go because maybe there is something like wrong with my eating. But because I had never really thought that I would get an eating disorder or anorexia. It was very 
hard to kind of grasp that this was actually going on and wasn't just something that you read about that it like only happens to like yeah I don't know models and stuff like that um but that it's an actual illness that anyone just like a regular person like me can also develop then it kind of went from there and well actually first the nutritionist kind of diagnosed me with or the doctors diagnosed me with arthorexia because I did a lot of sports back then still but then because I was still uh, losing a lot of weight so mm, pretty soon after that I was told that I wasn't allowed to exercise or do any sort of sport. So that's actually, I think, when like the actual like mm-hmm. anorexia, anorexia kind of came out. You know, when I thought, oh, no, I'm not allowed to like exercise and move. Then I'm going to just like kind of show my frustration and, and anger towards everyone that's telling me that yeah. I can't move, but just like eating less, you know. And then, yeah, soon after that, I went to a hospital and I was there for maybe about a month kind of on and off and I got to go home sometimes but because my heart rate was very very low I had to be monitored so that's why I was there and then I also started working with a therapist and and uh yeah after I was released from the hospital I went to therapy for a few years actually and you know went for check-in still and and all of that kind of from there it was just I guess time and like definitely was very very difficult after all of that and it wasn't it might sound now like it was just like a smooth little uh line up uh that (laughs) that went consistently like upwards but it definitely wasn't like that it was a lot of work but I still because I was at like really at rock bottom and I thought I would never move past this and I would never get over it and I would never kind of be able to forget certain things that I had just learned and these behaviors and and like knowing every single energy amount of like every single food group and I was just so like obsessed about everything and I was like even if I would Mm -hmm. want to how can I forget it because I had trained my brain to just kind of live life based on these things and and know these things but then I think like a year after maybe uh it was definitely like better physically I restored my weight and then I got my period back which was like a big sign that all the doctors had been kind of waiting for. And and I, I felt, to be honest, that all the doctors were saying that like when you get your period back, mm-hmm. that's when you have a normal weight. That's when you have a healthy weight because like that shows that your body can function. To some extent, I was like, you know, of course, happy that I got it back because I had I had started becoming a little bit like scared and worried. And kind of when my healthy side was coming up, I was like, if I don't have my period, it might like affect my fertility later if I want to have a family and kids one day and like this is actually like affecting like the future of my life so of course I was like happy that you know my body started functioning again um obviously still to say like I don't know if there you know later there might be some consequences still to everything that I put my body through but um at the same time it was kind of like scary because I was like okay does this mean that I won't get help anymore and I won't like be taken seriously if if like now they think that mm. I, I weigh a good amount and my body functions and yeah. and all these things. That's such an important point as well. And you said earlier, like, you know, like you were diagnosed at 15, but maybe you were kind of ill even before. But because you didn't fit quite the the perfect mold or the perfect diagnostic labels, it only got medical attention when you were physically visibly unwell and then in the same way there's kind of that like okay well she's weight restored she's got her periods back then she's probably fine we don't need to worry as much and the kind of the mental aspect of it gets like shoved aside as well which is obviously 
still super important yeah. like you know i don't think we should say that any one of them is more important because it's kind of part of the entire the entire picture like you also said you know there was a lot of focus on my weight also i don't want to undermine like that like if someone is severely underweight it's like it can be really really dangerous as it was in my case and it's important also to like Absolutely. take that into consideration but it was maybe like it felt like it was only that that was taken into consideration and i would also probably say that yeah even though people around me could see that i was getting unwell um the people that actually know knew me like my closest friends and my family, I think I would almost say that the change in my character and like how I was as a person was just as drastic as like the physical change. Like I completely changed. I used to be so social and kind and outgoing and honest and like just this like sweet girl and happy, like a happy girl with a positive view on life. And that was all completely mm -hmm. gone. Like I completely shut down. I stopped going places, spending time with friends. I, yeah, I even became kind of manipulative and like started lying about some things just to kind of protect that I could eat this or shouldn't eat that or like whatever that it was about. And I think that change was like just as big mm -hmm. as the physical change that happened. And I think for me, that's when I kind of felt like I was feeling happy again and you know wanting to kind of do things and yeah just feeling good in my mind and not just good in terms of like not fearing foods or feeling anxious after eating certain foods and uh anything like that it was more so when I felt like I didn't even think about food that I, I would probably say that is when I would consider that I got mm -hmm. yeah actually was better and actually had like recovered from the eating disorder um when like for example I could just go somewhere and I didn't even think if there would be food or not food and it wouldn't determine like anything either way and it's just like if I go and have let's say lunch with my friends yeah it's important to eat lunch and it's like it's nice to eat good foods but it's more like I might see that scenario as like spending time with a friend and I'm actually kind of living life and we can talk about the good things that are happening in life or the bad things or or whatever it is but in the past or before my eating disorder or when it was just developing or during it I would have spent like 99% of that lunch if not 100 just like obsessing about the food and already before then I would have been like planning like okay can we go to this place and what will they serve I wonder how many calories it has and what should I eat before then what should I eat later and then during the lunch I would probably be like solely focused on the plate and the food and trying to calculate how much energy it has unless I knew it and all these crazy things and then probably after I would probably think like what have I now eaten and try to kind of make sure that I knew what I had eaten and just obsessing about food like 24 7 it's not just the moments that you have food in front of you or you're going to eat it's I think what people maybe often forget that if you have a really really disordered mind in terms of eating or an eating disorder it's with you like almost 24 7 it's not just that one time that you have like a piece of chocolate mm -hmm. or something I think so many people have this quite simple idea of it and they think that, you know, it's just about eating and food and that's why you hear people be like, why don't you just eat a banana or something? Which just totally is not the point because it's about this massive impact on people's life that I think that many don't realise unless, you know, they themselves have suffered or know someone that has and that you describe that it affects almost every waking hour or a second even and that is something that's always on people's minds mm. and there are so many harmful stereotypes as well which I kind of wanted to mention or obviously each 
person has a different experience and the causes and factors that play into it is different for everyone but I think a lot of people tend to think that it's kind of a bit superficial and it's about just wanting to look good and I think that for many people it can kind of start with dieting a bit and um, body image is part of it but it's not usually just about kind of wanting to look good or getting attention like attention seeking is something that people tend to think that it might be about which again is quite a harmful stereotype too I think because there are maybe elements of it that might be true for some people yeah I, I don't know if you have any thoughts about that yeah I have a lot of thoughts about that as well <laughs> of course. Um, yeah I definitely think that's a very harmful way to think and um, I don't know how I could emphasize it enough. It's not just to seek attention or anything like that. I think anorexia has one of the highest, if not the highest, mortality rate among mental illnesses. Yeah, it's the highest, I think. Yeah, so it's not just a thing you do to get attention or like a trend that you follow. One dangerous thing is to think that eating disorders like must fit some criteria of like a person being underweight a person not eating like whatever it is mm -hmm. but also I think it's dangerous to kind of see them like even if someone fits your like criteria of whatever you might have in your head because that's what you've been taught that you know an underweight person is anorexic or something even then thinking that they're just doing it to get attention or it's like they can just snap out of it and like you know just I don't know somehow like romanticizing also it to some extent which I've also noticed some people do it's like very very yeah. dangerous I really I don't know what the answer is to like moving away from that but I think it definitely helps to speak up about it and I think hear as many different voices as possible and hear as many yeah. different people as possible and not just different kind of looks, but also just like hear different stories. Like I think that's why one of the reasons why I personally like doing like a podcast instead of, you know, just pictures or, or video even because like mm -hmm. in a podcast, if it's me speaking or if I have guests on my show as well, it's like people are there to listen it's more so like they're there to hear what they have to say and not look and kind of analyze based on 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 looking at them i'd like to talk a bit about your experiences of treatment we already touched upon how it's quite focused on weight restoration and there are some like important biological reasons for that as well like you know you said like there are risks to your heart for example it could just uh you know could get get arrhythmias or it could stop um and then there's also kind of if you are severely malnourished you're not able to think rationally so there is like like you said there is it's important to weight restore but what did you think in general about the approaches that the healthcare professionals around you had was there stuff that was maybe not so good things that could have been better yeah well there was definitely like both there was also a lot of good like often only the bad gets mentioned because yeah. I think the bad can be so like surreal so that's why it gets a lot of focus mm. um, but there was also a lot of good so maybe in my case actually what affected it a little bit is that I got help from so many different places in the beginning there was the nutritionist and then the nutritionist referred me to a therapist and they well they kind of worked in the same clinic so I started working with them but then when I was mm -hmm. hospitalized it was through just like a general hospital that had nothing to do with this eating disorder clinic so I was kind of treated in like two or three even different places and then you know I had already started the treatment with the therapist and nutritionist and I really liked working with them and I trusted them and we started doing it a bit more slowly but clearly it wasn't enough 
uh, like in terms of my weight and I was still losing a lot of weight. So that's why I had to go to the hospital. They kind of wanted to do things in their own way and they wanted me to start with a different therapist there and all these things. But I was quite against it because I had already built a trust with someone. You know, I had finally kind of dared to open up and start working with someone. Mm -hmm. And then at the hospital, it was very much focused on like the physical and my different values and just a lot of numbers, not just in terms of my weight, but everything else also that they measured. But then we managed to kind of work around so that I could continue working with the therapist. Even when I was in the hospital, my mom would take me to therapy. Yeah. Then after I was released from the hospital, they kind of agreed that the nutritionist I already had before was kind of like working with the guidelines that we got from the hospital. So it was like a little bit all over. But I think Mm -hmm. the professionals that I worked with from the eating disorder clinic, I I don't even really know what it is about it. Like the word that comes to my mind is just trust. Mm -hmm. That was definitely like a good encounter. And there are people that know how to deal with eating disorders. I think it's more like if you go to a generalist, they might not know about it. So they kind of read it from a book or remember what they've been taught in school. And that can Mm -hmm. be a little maybe black and white and yeah, a bit outdated, I guess. Like for example, when I was in the hospital, Uh, also in within the hospital like the doctors kept changing that were treating me so that was also very difficult for me to kind of get someone new every time and kind of be afraid what they would say and and they would use these like just like using certain words that you shouldn't really be using to someone with an eating disorder in Finnish there's this word essentially it would translate to like when you speak about gaining weight but Mm -hmm. it would be like make you fat so one of the doctors would like, mm. oh, when we've like made you this fat, like in terms of like when you've gained this much weight. And it was just like, how can someone even say that like to anybody? Like you shouldn't use that word to anybody, but especially to me um, or to someone in that situation. Then, well, actually, yeah, I remember also like a really bad encounter with, again, it was like just a general mm, doctor is when I had done kind of my first, my first EKG and then the results came back like really, really bad. It's when you measure. Well, you can probably give the specifics of it better in English. Yeah, it's like the heart rates and also the general electrical activity of the heart. So you can see if there's something up with arrhythmias and so on too. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, the results were really bad. And we actually like rushed to a doctor the same day that they came back. Like I, I could call like mm-hmm. we have to go in now. Like it's really, really low, like your heart rates. And then we went and then the doctor was being so like almost making like jokes and being so chill and so like, I don't know, using humor into that situation. I was clearly unwell. The values showed that. And also you could see it from me. And then he was just kind of like, oh, well, you know, you're you're slim like that. And because you do so much sports, like I used to do athletics a lot. Um, mm-hmm. And it was like, you do athletics. Like there was this runner in Finland called Lasse Viren. The doctor was like, yeah, he also was at a marathon or he, he won like his Olympic medals when he had a similar heart rate as yours is now. Like, it's fine. We were all kind of like frozen because I was also woken up before that to like, okay, this is bad. We have to go to a doctor now. Like what's going on? But then when the yeah. doctor was just like that, it was kind of like, okay, so... I guess nothing is wrong then I can just continue as normal especially to my anorexia it was giving fuel to the fire Mm. here's someone face to face telling me a professional doctor is telling me that I'm not sick enough I'm not thin enough yeah I'm not sick enough to get help clearly so you know what I'm going to show him and I'm going to show everyone that I can get sicker Mm. so that was really dangerous 
totally and in the episode that we recorded for your podcast we talked quite a lot about the whole not being sick enough and eating disorders not having a look and yeah it, it just shows how harmful the attitudes are as well because even here where you some people would definitely say you know like by the criteria or whatever you you were sick enough but still it was in the attitude and the meeting that things went wrong because of how you were met and how things were interpreted and even just you being worried and being there with like another person as well like kind of shows how it was a big situation and then just having that be diminished is just so shocking so that's one of those like bad experiences that you know that you mentioned that just gets attention because it's almost unbelievable in how that yeah. can actually happen yeah <laughs> um I just had this thought that came to me as well when you were saying that you know trust was the most important thing and that's actually one thing that was mentioned to us during teaching that I remember that they were saying mm. that like the most important predictor for having a successful outcome, whatever that can mean, is the therapeutic alliance, which basically means like mm. how well you're getting on with the therapist or the people who are treating you. Thank you so much for sharing that story. And so you were diagnosed at about 15 and mm. had treatment and how old were you when you would say that you kind of felt, you know, that f- when you kind of realized, oh, food isn't playing such a big part in my life or I'm not really thinking about it? Um, I don't know if you would do label yourself as like recovered now or um, how did that realization come about? Yeah, well, this is actually really difficult to answer. And I've also been thinking about it when I was in my kind of worst state in the eating disorder and I was kind of like just dreaming of this one day when I'm going to like I don't know sit at a park bench and then I'm going to like just people watch and eat ice cream and I'm going to get this like aha now I'm recovered Mm -hmm. like there's like one moment but yeah that's not really how it um happens I think it was more so like small small moments like that in the long run Mm -hmm. after the moment like hey actually I just you know did this thing that I didn't even think about like maybe it was eating a food or not thinking about food or, or whatever it was and I don't know how I would kind of like label myself now definitely recovered but mm-hmm. um I don't really present myself as oh I'm a recovered anorexic but technically I am yeah but it's more so I'm just kind of like I'm just Bettina you know I'm just yeah. me I've gone through an eating disorder maybe yeah maybe I don't want to kind of like label myself like that is because I don't want the label of the eating disorder even if it's like mm-hmm being recovered from an eating disorder to kind of like determine me because it determined like me and my life so much when it was at its worst I think I would say that the first year after kind of the hospital and and when it was at its worst because it was still very focused on gaining weight and different treatments and just checkups and everything it was very very much focused on making it to the next appointment and to the next therapy and the next goal and it wasn't always a goal of gaining weight. It could be a goal I set with my therapist of, I don't know, getting through certain situations, going to like a cafe and ordering a cake and a coffee, you know, Mm -hmm. which just doing like scary things that like my eating disorder didn't allow me to do. So it was very much like just like... Like exposure therapy. Yeah, 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 basically. And so, but I think like, I think you're kind of like recovered when... Like, because in the end, it was a lot about even when it didn't feel like a big thing or not in the end, I mean, but like when after kind of like you had maybe even physically recovered, it was so much of like being happy and like joy and celebrating like each single cookie that I would eat. And I'm like, whoa, like 
this is so delicious and like I can do this and and I don't feel anxious or I feel anxious but I still did it and it was so Mm -hmm. much like that and I think that's also not uh well it's hard to say what what is normal eating but that's also not normal eating like for me normal eating is maybe eating 10 cookies or 10 jars of cookies or whatever and not even like thinking not even remembering if you did it yesterday or not Mm -hmm. now it's like if I want a snack, I'll just just like whatever is available and whatever I feel like. Like sometimes maybe it can be a banana and sometimes it can be chocolate or ice cream. And I don't really even think about which of those I choose. Like they're all equal to me and I don't like make it into like, okay, now I ate this like healthier thing. So therefore I can mm. eat a bit more unhealthy later or I ate this unhealthy thing. So now I can't have dessert again after dinner. It's like, no, you can have both or you can have none, like whatever kind of works for you. So I think it definitely probably took like years still after to kind of get into that state where you're actually not thinking about it um Mm -hmm. really either way so yeah probably like yeah I don't know a few years after years definitely yeah I know that was a really hard question to ask (laughs) as well to be fair yeah I'm not even sure that I like the term recovery and recovered I think it does describe what's going on but then you're like you say you're kind of exchanging one label with another and it's hinting back at the the past label or whatever and like you said it's important to remember that anyone is just a person going through different things we're not just passing through life with labels slapped on although that kind of is what healthcare can feel like I think a lot of the time and patients are labeled a lot I mean I'm sure people could argue for ages about whether it's helpful or not But yeah, it's definitely so important to remember the person at the center of it. I think it's really nice and inspiring, though. And I'm sure other people that are either themselves suffering or know someone that is or treating someone, it's nice to know that it's possible to feel better and to have those good times. And that's why I I really just like listening to your podcast and the work you're doing as well. Oh, thank you. Well, yeah, if I had to choose kind of like one key message, it's to get the message through that you can recover like 100 1000 percent and not in a way where you're like you can kind of live normally but you kind of still think about it all the time or like you know it's there and no it's possible to get into a state where you don't even think about it and you don't think like that because often I don't to be honest even remember where they came from where I heard it or people that had experiences with it even that said that like yeah you know you'll always have it a little and you can't ever fully heal from it and it was like Mm -hmm. It was really devastating actually to hear that when I was in my eating disorder because I was like, I don't want to live like this forever. I don't want to think like this forever. And like, what's the point of even trying to recover if I'm still not fully going to recover? And like feeling really like sad about like, is this how I'm going to live the rest of my life? I think maybe that also made me work harder to like really fully move away from it. And and I just want to like show everyone else to and and inspire everybody else and just get the message through not just from me but also like from other people that I know that are in the same shoes and have fully come out of it to just like share their message and like emphasize that you can recover and like fully recover but it just takes time it takes a lot of time and it's not easy and you have to work for it but it is possible with time and you know hard work and a lot of ups and downs amazing Okay, and so we've spoken a bit or quite a bit about how to not approach anorexia or eating disorders or things to keep in mind. So remembering that it's not just physical stuff and that it's not just superficial and there's a lot of mental stuff going on. 
And you also pointed out kind of the language that's used is really important as well so that you're not triggering or just thoughtless and remembering the person at the center of it all. Um, and of course, there's like a lot of other things, but I feel like those were kind of the, the main kind of messages of the first um, the, the first part that we were discussing. And so I'd like to talk a little bit about what you think people should consider for someone with a past eating disorder or maybe kind of almost fully recovered or, or doing quite well. Um, obviously, you can't speak for everyone, but you know, what do you think are important things for healthcare professionals to keep in mind in terms of promoting healthy eating and so on? Do you think that that could be triggering? What do you think in terms of the general medical establishment, how they talk about healthy eating? I mean, yeah, maybe afterwards we could touch on the whole, you know, obesity strategy in the UK and the calorie labeling and all of that stuff. But maybe just for, first of all, starting off with, you know, do you think that there can be triggers in recovery or like kind of post-recovery as well and uh, things to keep in mind even kind of afterwards yeah well it's really really individual yeah if I think of me and like what would be harmful for someone to tell me is to promote kind of like super healthy eating or to kind of promote it in a way where you're like promoting certain things which means that you have to restrict all these things with like cheat days or you know one day a week you can do this or don't eat past this point or eat before this and and just kind of like taking all that away like for example the nutritionist that I worked with because in the beginning I was following like a very strict meal plan which was not for forever and not maybe what is seen as normal eating to be so strict on the times and the amounts but it was very crucial for that time but we built the plan it was never because I think I've also seen a lot of kind of meal plans built that like, okay, now you eat this much, but then, you know, when you're normal, you can eat less or something. But he said that you never, ever, ever, ever have to like minimize from it. Like even if you're well after and healthy and recovered and all of that, like it's not like then you can't eat chocolate anymore. Mm -hmm. Every single day you can eat chocolate or ice cream or whatever kind of the treats were that I kind of like to eat. And it wasn't like this is only because you're underweight. Now we have to have like high energy foods and like gain weight as soon as possible. Like, no, this is like how a normal person can also eat. And every single day they can have chocolate. Every single day you can have ice cream. And even if you have like ice cream during the day, you can still have chocolate after dinner. One thing doesn't take away from the other and then not get into like a negative spiral. If I'm trying to think what healthcare professionals could do or, or avoid doing is to avoid labeling foods or meal plans or diets or anything so that the person feels guilty yeah if you eat something and then you feel guilty then you feel even worse it's just like a very negative spiral and it's i guess difficult to break away from it mm -hmm. i don't know what you think about intuitive eating but i quite like the general framework and principles of that and part of that is kind of moving away from the labeling of foods as good and bad and so on I think I'm a big fan of intuitive eating without really realizing that I'm intuitive eater like to be yeah. honest I don't really fully <laughs> remember like the is it 10 kind of guidelines or yeah the principles yeah. yeah the principles and it's like I also I don't want to learn them by heart because then I don't want to think mm -hmm. that this is the also the only way that I can eat or something like yeah I also think it's fully okay to anytime that you just want to eat 
even if you're not hungry. I mean, it can just be like a random afternoon. It's okay to also sometimes eat if you're just bored. Like you don't have to feel guilty. Yeah. A lot of times you hear that you should only eat when you're hungry and, and stop when you're full. It's like sometimes I think a food is so delicious or it gives like I notice it in like a lot very nostalgic foods. If it's like something mm. from my childhood or something. I just want to eat like more because it's just delicious and it like makes me feel warm because I think of good memories and probably I'm already full but I can still eat more because I just want to or if it's like a special I don't know a celebration for example or someone has baked something like specifically for me like of course it's also okay to say no if you don't really want it but if I just kind of want to try a cake that someone baked for me and yeah I'm not hungry or maybe I just had cake already before it's still okay to have cake again you know yeah absolutely. but yeah I think definitely like freedom in terms of like no rules is for me mm-hmm. personally the best way to go about living life and food <laughs> mm-hmm. I've done an episode I think it was episode seven about weight stigma why shaming people doesn't work And as part of that, we also spoke about the UK obesity strategy, which was launched at the end of July as like a new thing and to, to fight the war in obesity or whatever. Uh, I'm using all of that very sarcastically and I don't agree with the language used. <laughs> part of that is starting to label food items on menus with calories, which had like quite a lot of uproar, especially with like the eating disorder charity in the UK beats. Um, and people were talking about that being bad. So I'm sure you would agree that it's that it's yeah. a bad thing and can be triggering for people that don't even have eating disorders yet, that have eating disorders, that have recovered. Um, do you have any sort of tips in terms of dealing with things that might be a bit triggering for you? Like how do you avoid triggers or disarm triggers and what would you advise others? Yeah, well, I mean, again, I can only kind of say what works for me and maybe like specifically for what I would consider my triggers try to steer away from looking at calories and looking at numbers as best you can and you have to put in a lot of effort energetically to like resist the temptation of looking at the calories don't look at the back of the box that has the energy or you know how much proportion also i think that's very like bad to have um for people specifically that have a past of eating disorders or that currently have an eating disorder because often this you know per portion will have this much energy and quite often I don't think that is like one portion size at least for cereal or something it's like times it at least by four or something so that also gives like comparison and like oh am I eating more than I should no you're not um and for example well I can share something that's specifically like for me Mm, I don't know if it would be a trigger anymore but it because it was such a big thing uh my weight and when I was developing my eating disorder I was like weighing myself every single day and then the number on the scale mm-hmm. determined and I had these goals that okay when I'm going to reach this then good but then every time I reached that goal it was like okay then next like lower 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 mm-hmm. even if it was like just by a few grams like if it was higher than it was yesterday I was in such a bad mood the whole day and mm-hmm. trying to find ways to compensate and then when it was lower I was like okay then I'm gonna have a good day in my recovery and being treated like I was actually never really allowed to know the number on the scale and they would weigh me like without me knowing and if I would get any sort of documents where they would write information about you know what was going on then they would always blur out the number so I think that was very very good and then you know in the end it was just kind of my therapist that weighed me every single time it was just like a regular thing that I did when I walked in the door I would just step on the scale would look away she would write it down she wouldn't make any single comments if it was going like 
up or down but I think like in the long run if she would have noticed it's going down 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 then she would have kind of intervened but yeah um, I think that was useful but still to this day I don't own a scale I don't know what I weigh I don't know when the last time I know what I weighed was like even if I go somewhere to any doctor checkup and they want to weigh me I even like ask them to not say it out loud or I, I try to like look away or <laughs> close mm-hmm. my ears or something I don't know in some sports where you have to have like certain equipment or something they have to kind of like know your weight and I kind of roughly maybe know what it is and give like a guide or an estimate and usually like it's enough if you need to have a life vest like you need to know like just mm. roughly kind of maybe what number it starts on and I think like roughly maybe I know but if they kind of weigh me in those situations also I try to like yeah ask them to not let me know or just close my ears or look away because there's no point personally again like for me I don't need to know what I weigh now like there's no other valid reason for it so I don't want to because I don't want it to like even if there's like a 0.1% risk that it will trigger me I don't want to take that risk Mm. so I try to stay away from it yeah that's a great tip and actually I um there was a patient in the GP practice I was in who was getting weighed and she was like I don't want to know my weight I've not weighed myself for years and the person who was weighing her was like okay that's fine just look away so I was like that's good (laughs) I actually saw that in practice as well yeah oh that's so good yeah but it's quite hard because our entire society is very diet centered you can see that in how the energy values are displayed and very readily available weighing is part of every health checkup even though there's many arguments for weight not being like that good of a predictor of like health outcomes on its own that's despite their being like a very large number of people that have eating disorders or are vulnerable to eating disorders but that's not just not really kind of prioritized so it's kind of on on those people to to try and avoid slipping in or slipping back which is obviously really hard but that's some good tips anyway so thank you for sharing those I'm happy to try to help but also again yeah remember that it's very like individual Mm -hmm. it's my truth and it can differ still to different people based on where they come from and what they've gone through and yeah other factors as well because the podcast is called what i didn't learn in medical school i like to end by asking the guest what is one thing that they wish that all doctors knew or one thing that they wish there was more of a focus on in medical education i think to emphasize again that it's a psychological or a mental illness and not just physical and try to kind of see and assess each person individually and not generalize based on what's taught in medical school or you read in a book because it is people uh, and every person will be different and everyone's story will be different and maybe also if someone is really really mm, deep down in their eating disorder and Maybe they don't really, you know, they don't want to get better because they're so deep Mm. down in it. Then it's like the people with eating disorders that severe. Okay, this is maybe generalizing, but they're like masters at manipulating and it's not them. It's the eating disorder. Mm -hmm. So I think it's like important to kind of, I mean, you shouldn't think that everyone is just lying, not like that, but kind of like it's very easy for someone that doesn't want to get help to kind of come up with different ways to get around it or like say that they've eaten certain things or done certain things when Mm -hmm. you know they really haven't and it can be very convincing so kind of like to take it seriously and not just like go through a checklist on a piece of paper and be like okay check you know they ate check or what whatever kind of the the screening process is Mm -hmm. 
see each person, I guess, individually and, and also remind them that it takes time to recover. It's not just that you can make a plan for a couple of months and then it's better. Uh, it's usually kind of like years. And yeah, I guess just build an environment at your office where it feels safe and warm and welcoming to come to. Like I would appreciate or I would have appreciated if I knew it was like a place where, you know, I can go and I, I, I don't have to feel ashamed to talk about these things. And I know they take it seriously and they want to work like with me and not against me. And I can burst out crying if I would want to, even if it's like about the smallest thing, like being anxious of like eating a potato or something like whatever it is and not feel like I'm judged because of that. But be kind of taken mm -hmm. seriously and be also seen as a person and not just someone with like a mental disorder. Thank you so much for sharing all these things. Yeah, again, I highly recommend that people check out your socials and your podcast. Do you just want to remind people where they can find you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so you can find my podcast, Best of Bettina, on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, Stitcher and Anchor. And you can also find me on Instagram at Best of Bettina. And uh, yeah, if you have any comments or thoughts or maybe requests of topics that you'd like me to talk about or invite guests to speak about, then that's the best place to message me on. Okay, great. Thank you so much for coming on to the show, Bettina. I had a great time talking to you. Oh, me too. I could have gone on for, <laughs> for the whole afternoon. Thanks for having me, Linda. And that's your episode for today. I hope you enjoy the listen and that it made you think. Check out the show notes with links to Bettina's socials, my previous episodes with her, and also my episodes on intuitive eating and weight stigma with Dr. Stuart Flint. But I've also linked some further reading and support for anyone that is struggling with an eating disorder at the moment. Remember to follow me at Whitlims on Instagram and Twitter in order to stay up to date, give me feedback, and to get in touch. I would love to hear from you. Please also share this episode and others around. I massively appreciate when you do. I hope you tune in for next week's episode too, which will be episode number 20. This little passion project of mine is a one-woman show behind the scenes, so episode 20 might be the last one for a little while, as I'm currently trying to juggle my last semester of medical school before Christmas and exams. I hope you have a lovely rest of the day. Bye!